have a grand general. Be in luck. I'm the only one here about who has one. But they uh, might as well buy a new ship. It would be cheaper, I think, huh? <laughs> Thing of which, how is he going to pay for all of this? I have 20,000 Republic Dactaris. Republic credits? Republic credits are no good out here. I need something more real. I don't have anything else, but credits will do fine. No, they won't. Credits will do fine. No, they won't. What, you think you're some kind of Jedi waving your hand around like that? I'm a Tidarian. My tricks don't work on me. Only money. No money, no parts, no deal. Here's how it happened. Or really, how I remember it. Records are hard to keep when the feed continues to scroll, and the days blend into one another in a soft palette. And life and the thousands of posts each day propel the conversation forward, wherever that may be. It was early April, and most of us had been shuttered in our respective homes for the past three weeks. Our collecting community had pulled together during the early part of the quarantine, constantly coming up with creative ways to ignore the current situation, and to continue the best elements of what Star Wars and the collecting groups have always provided, an escape from the pressures of the world around us, and the chance to connect with others who shared the same interests and passions. In those first few weeks, many of our collector friends turned the cameras on themselves and live-streamed tours of their collection rooms as they welcomed us into their homes. Those videos were windows into collections we'd rarely, if ever, viewed in person before. Each night, after whipping up a late-night comfort food snack, I would sit at my kitchen table and would listen to a friend point out pieces of his or her collection for an hour or so over the screen of my phone. And it happened almost every time. The video would end, and reality would come back into focus, and in a quietly magical way, I'd realize I was sitting at my kitchen table, back in my own home again. Many of us connected in virtual video chats held by a number of the collecting clubs on the weekends. They took the place of the in-person meetups that were planned and canceled. And while we longed to be together in person... It was a blessing to be able to discuss life and collecting as a group. And without any meetups, there would not be any room sales. For us, gathering in a hotel lobby at night to buy, sell, and trade rare Star Wars items was practically a staple of a toy show weekend trip. It was a chance to spend time with one another and to pick up a rare item that we might see only during a collector's weekend. And since we couldn't hold a room sales event in person, Matthias Rendall arranged to do a virtual one in one of the Facebook groups on a Friday night. The virtual room sales event was fun, and was well attended. A number of high-priced carded figures and pre-production pieces changed hands that night, and it was exciting to see what item would appear for sale next. Many of us stayed glued to our phones for the hours that followed, constantly refreshing our feed and hopefully adding at least one new piece to our collections. The day after the room sales, I remember wishing for a similar event. But where this one had focused mainly on vintage Star Wars pieces, I dreamed of doing one in which a multitude of modern Star Wars prototypes would be available. Many of our fellow friends and vintage collectors were beginning to pick up some modern pieces and there seemed to be a burgeoning interest in collectibles from the newer films, series, and Hasbro lines. However, I didn't know how to make a modern Star Wars prototype's room sale happen. 
Work had been amping up and wearing me out, and I didn't have the time to put something of this magnitude together. I also didn't know if there would be enough interest overall. To make an event like this work, sellers would have to let go of some pretty exciting pieces from their own stashes, and it would have to be more than the common modern prototypes you may see on some of the social media group pages or on eBay. At the same time, while there were more and more people adding prototypes to their collections, it was hard to judge whether collectors were ready to go all in on modern pieces and embrace this growing area of the hobby. I never had to put any type of event together, and a virtual room sale centered on modern Star Wars prototypes never happened. It didn't need to. Something bigger came along, bigger than you and I could even imagine, and it appealed to a much wider fan base. It contained vintage Star Wars figures and a trove of modern Star Wars pieces, and everything from loose figures and carded ones to playsets and vehicles, graded items and bootlegs, as well as foreign and domestic collectibles. There were more prototypes for sale than ever before, spanning the past 40 years of Star Wars. And it went beyond Star Wars, representing many toy and figure lines from past decades. Suddenly, items you never knew you wanted but had to have once you saw them appeared. You never knew what was coming next, and new items were popping up every hour. And every one of us had a chance, as long as we were willing to bid. One collector commented he was afraid to go to sleep at night because he didn't want to miss out on the sales during those hours. The Star Wars collecting community has changed in these past four months. An entirely new marketplace now caters to both the established and newer collectors, unlike any before it, all thanks to a sleepy little Facebook group page that went unnoticed until the quarantine commenced. This is the story of that group, and how it found its place in Star Wars collecting history. This is a record of some of the amazing and storied pieces offered so far, many of which were once-in-a-lifetime collectibles. This is another example of how our Star Wars community constantly finds creative ways to come together and to grow the hobby during a pandemic. This is the daily question with only two outcomes, deal or no deal. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. deal Facebook group had been around for a while. The premise was simple and straightforward. A seller would post an item or group of items for sale on the page, accompanied by photos and a written description. Potential buyers could make an offer by writing a dollar amount they'd be willing to spend for it in the comments section of the post. 
The seller would then respond to each offer, rejecting it with an answer of no deal, or finally accepting an offer with the word deal. The deal or no deal format offered a number of benefits. A seller avoided the 10 to 15% fees a site like eBay requires. And unlike listing with an auction house in which an item would sell to the highest bidder, a seller never runs the risk of having an item sell for far below its target price, simply because the seller ultimately has the final say as to whether or not a deal would be made. Still, in the weeks and months leading up to April, the group had little traction. Most collectors were not on the site, and while there were deals to be made, the page seemed to get lost among many of the other thriving Facebook groups where collectors frequently flocked. Mark Vanis, owner of the website The Toy Archives, had posted a few items to sell on Deal or No Deal in the last days of March, but the day I first noticed the page was on Wednesday, April 1st. Mark had listed some interesting pieces, like a C-3PO print hand-initialed by famed Star Wars artist and designer Ralph McQuarrie, and some Lucasfilm cast and crew t-shirts from the prequel films. But the post that caught my eye that night was one in which he was selling two modern prototypes. It was a group lot consisting of a younger Obi-Wan and Anakin from Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Both figures were in non-production colors and were some of the earliest plastic examples, known as first shots, because they were the first ones injected, or shot, into the steel molds to test production. The figures had flesh-colored heads, and some of the features had been chipped away or scored in order to deter workers at the factories from selling them on the secondary market. Their bodies were a gray-beige color, and the Obi-Wan had internal markings on the torso. Mark sold the pair for $90 that night, which was a very fair price on his part. In addition to owning Star Wars items that span the entirety of the franchise, he also collects a multitude of other toy lines. And Deal or No Deal became an easy way for him to move pieces that no longer fit his focus into the hands of other collectors at reasonable price points. And Mark seemed to have a lot of fun with this new format. Many of the headings for his post that week began with... Selling shenanigans like hotcakes. I have way more than enough to get us all through the Rona, so save those stimulus checks. Amid the initial weeks of the corona quarantine, people were looking for lighthearted and fun activities to do while home. Ones that would take their minds off of a very serious and sometimes terrifying situation. And for me, Mark was leading the parade of deal or no deal, bringing a sense of excitement and joy. In the days that followed, Mark offered up a collection of modern Star Wars prototypes. On Thursday, he sold a Saga Trash Compactor Leia first shot for $65 and an unpainted Power of the Force 2 TIE Pilot first shot in black for $160. That night, Georgia Collector and one of the leading members of the Georgia Alliance of Star Wars Collectors Club, Justin Haney, decided to join Mark and to post some items for sale on Deal or No Deal. Justin was part of a nice modern prototype find recently, and made some of those pieces available to the group. He posted the following note on his listings. Like Vanis, I too enjoy selling shenanigans. Have a few modern prototypes to list up. Deal or no deal time. Justin sold his prototypes in trios. The first was an Obi-Wan prototype lot. A nightclub encounter Kenobi and a flipping attack figure from the Saga collection and the Jedi Duel one from Episode 1. The second consisted of a Lot Dodd, a Nemoidian warrior, and Masa Meda from the Saga collection. 
Each lot sold for $120. On Friday, Justin fully caught the deal-or-no-deal bug and ramped up his modern prototype listings. He offered a rare Saga Lieutenant Daniel Fittoni first shot, as well as a Destroyer droid, a Nikto Jedi, the Kamino Escape Boba and Jango Fett, a Ramus Antilles set, a K-3PO droid, a Captain Typho, and Jan Dodonna. Saturday, Mark expanded his offerings to include some really fun and unique pieces. He posted an original Dynacast hardcopy arm for the 1983 Return of the Jedi prune face figure. Vintage hardcopy parts are extremely rare and almost never come up for sale to the general public. He also listed a swatch of authentic costume Ewok fur for the character of Wicket from Return of the Jedi, sourced by the godfather of modern makeup design, Stuart Freeborn. Mark ended that night with an original ink drawing of an unproduced Tiger Electronics game for Episode 1, and a sculpting tool used by Rick Hughes, the man responsible for some of the most iconic Kenner Star Wars figures. And as Mark and Justin and a few others continued to post rare pieces and modern prototypes, I realized that Deal or No Deal could turn into something bigger. It just needed an audience to match its potential. The week between that Palm Sunday, April 5th, and Easter, April 12th, is a little blurry. I remember it being a hectic one at work, but I would check my phone whenever an alert would pop up, meaning someone posted something new for sale. During that time, I messaged a number of friends who were dabbling in modern prototypes and told them to check out the group. And a few of us would chat during the day about the pieces that were listed or about the ranges in which we expected them to sell. And if a friend was going after an item, it was fun to cheer them on and to help them figure out what to do to make a deal happen. By the end of the work week, activity on the site had begun to ramp up even more, and some really great pieces exchanged hands. And so, in the time between Good Friday and that Saturday, I sat on my bed and scrolled through my Facebook friends list of collectors and invited more than 60 people to join Deal or No Deal in one shot. And then it happened. Did you ever have an idea in your head and then awake one day to see it come together almost overnight, like a handful of magical elves were tinkering and building it while you slept? After spending the morning and afternoon with my family during our Easter celebration, I checked the Deal or No Deal page in the early evening to see a flurry of activity. Many of the friends who accepted my invite to the page the day before had posted items for sale, and a number of friends had begun to bid on them. And they had invited their friends, and word quickly got out through the community that something exciting was happening on the page. And so, that Easter Sunday, Deal or No Deal was the second miracle I celebrated that day. Paul Konotsky was one of the more well-known collectors of modern Star Wars prototypes to list items for sale that night. And it wasn't just a usual modern and focused collector's bidding, but some of the vintage collectors added some of these pieces to their collections too. Paul sold an R5-D4 paint sample for $275, a pair of Biker Scout first shots from the Power of the Jedi and the Endor Victory accessory set for $375, two R3-T7 first shots for $175, two different color Aura Sing first shots from the Unleashed line sold for $200, and an Aayla Secure from the same line sold for $150. 
He also made deals on a beautiful hand-painted R2-D2 sample figure for $275, and a set of five hand-painted R2 and R5 samples, including R2-B1 and some of the droids from the Royal Starship Droids Multipack, for $250. Many of these lots contain prototypes of figures rarely available to collectors. The fact that they were iconic characters like R2-D2 and R5-D4, or were ones that were painted in unique colors like the peach-colored Biker Scout, or some that were hand-painted in a dense matte paint like the R2-B1, made them very appealing. Although I didn't buy anything that night, I was so happy to watch as friends and collectors of all types bought and sold on the site. People discussed the pieces offered and shared information about their history and what made them special. Before I went to sleep that night, I wrote a quick post on the site, wishing everyone a happy Easter and Passover. I mentioned that I had wanted to set up a room sales for modern prototypes that would be a fun way to bring collectors together and would be a blessing to my friends, and that deal or no deal surpassed anything I could have imagined. That excitement carried over to the next day, in which I posted a note proclaiming the day as Prototypes and Pre-Production Monday, in order to keep the momentum going. But I quickly learned I didn't need to post anything, since it was taking off faster than any of us could have ever predicted. And now, even months later, most of us are still just trying to keep up with the 24-hour marketplace known as Deal or No Deal. Over the past three months, Deal or No Deal has grown and now includes more than 2,200 members. Sellers are introducing new items every day, and there is never downtime on the page. It's a 24-hour marketplace for our community of serious and passionate collectors, and that excitement has carried through the season of quarantine. Some of the longtime vintage Star Wars collectors, the ones responsible for uncovering many of the pieces we now covet, like Gus Lopez, Ron Salvatore, and Chris Dragulius, have posted items for sale on the page. Gus recently sold an extremely rare vintage first shot Luke Skywalker X-Wing pilot on painted head and torso for $5,400, a vintage first shot Emperor head for $1,500, and an alternate version Jabba the Hutt and Han Solo proof sheet from the Power of the Force 2 line for $500. In May, Chris sold a rare Power of the Force 2 variant, a carded mock-up of the Emperor for $700. The figure was sealed to a Luke Stormtrooper cardback, and its face and hands were flesh-colored instead of the deathly gray we associate with the character. He also made a deal on the 1978 translucent off-white prototype plastic tray for the Star Wars carrying case, which sold for $850, and on an unproduced micro-collection FX7 figurine and a 1984 Young Jedi Mailer kit with a bagged Chewbacca figure with each selling for more than $1,900. Ron sold a limited-edition custom rocket-firing Boba Fett for $600, which came from the famed Ohio store The Earth in 1994. He also made deals on a sample-bagged micro-collection Han Stormtrooper for $300, and an original 1978 Kenner Leia first-shot arm for $2,000. These are just a few of the pieces offered on a daily basis and a tiny sample of why Deal or No Deal is so appealing. 
And not all the items for sale on the page are the ones that are really rare or really expensive. And that's another part of Deal or No Deal's charm. It's a true marketplace that has something for everyone at every price point. For every Grail piece, there are about 10 to 15 ones priced between $50 and $200. It allows everyone to participate, giving us all a chance to add something special to our respective collections. So what is it like to bid on an item on Deal or No Deal? The experience generally begins with a notification that pops up on your phone's screen. In fact, a notification just came across my screen as I'm speaking with you now. It mentions the seller by name, in this case, longtime Superman collector Bill Byers, and says Bill Byers added a photo in Deal or No Deal. And since most of us have been on the site every day for the past few months, when certain names appear on your screen, you click on them immediately. Bill has a pretty extensive collection of pre-production and production superpowers, Indiana Jones, and Star Wars pieces, among others. So if he's selling something, I should probably check it out. So, at this moment, Bill is selling a first-shot micro-collection Death Star Escape playset. In his listing, he notes that the winner will receive a prototype as well as a production sample of the playset, and five internal Kenner Polaroids of the original Death Star Escape and Compactor models. Bill also mentions that the photos came from a former Kenner model shop employee. He describes the prototype version as having mold and color differences from its production counterpart, and that it also lacks the date and copyright information found on production examples and his listing states that the winning buyer will pay the shipping price. It's been up for less than 15 minutes, and already 16 people have liked Bill's listing, marking it with a thumbs-up emoji or a heart. This can be helpful information, as I'm able to see who has looked at the listing so far. If a friend that collects similar micro-collection pieces has liked the post, but has not bid on it, I can bid on it without feeling like I was stepping on someone else's toes. Or I can contact that friend to see if he or she plans on bidding on it. In that sense, a site like this brings us closer together, and makes bidding on an item more of a communal event. I may contact newer micro-collector Blake Morgan to hear his thoughts about the piece, and what a possible price range would be for it. The next step would be to check on the comments section. This is where many collectors who aren't directly bidding on the piece would notify friends who might be interested in doing so by tagging them on it. At this point, my Empire State buddy Rob Amatea has been tagged on it, and shortly after has made an offer of $500 for the two pieces. Bill replied to his comment, thanking him for his offer and rejecting it with a simple no deal. Another collector named Eric placed a bid of $650 a few minutes later. I look at the listing description again and carefully examine the photo of the prototype. There are definitely noticeable differences in the color of the cannon and in certain aspects of the detachable elevator. Bill rejects Eric's offer with another no deal. I had this playset as a child, and it's one of my all-time favorite micro-pieces. 
I think back to the times I sat on the floor of my playroom at the age of five and imagined myself swinging across a chasm with Luke and Leia, or walking around the back of the circular catwalk and shutting the tractor beam down with Obi-Wan Kenobi. Those pangs of nostalgia jab at me, and I think I want to bid on it. Gus Lopez comments that he has listed a Death Star Escape blueprint copy that would complement this piece perfectly. I make an offer of $700 on the piece and decide that is the highest I want to spend at the moment. My offer sits for a few minutes, but it feels like an hour. I put my phone down and go into the kitchen to make a snack, but I run back to my room a minute later to pick it up again and carry it with me. Bill hasn't replied. Shoot. Now I question whether I really want it. I had the piece as a child, and I really liked the prototype, but I don't really collect any of the sets or figurines from the micro-collection at the moment. I check my phone again. It's such a cool piece, but $700 is a lot of money to spend. Someone bid $750. I type $800 into the comment bar, but I stop myself and erase it before I have the chance to press send. At that point, another notification appears at the top of my screen, and this time it's from modern prototype collector Brandon Vise. I move on from Bill's listing and click on Brandon's to see what he's offering tonight. It's a 30th anniversary collection Luke Skywalker first shot. I sit down to eat my snack and watch the listing, deciding whether or not to cast a bid on this colorful prototype. And that's a snapshot of what it's like on Deal or No Deal on a daily and sometimes hourly basis. I didn't really bid on Bill's Death Star Escape micro-prototype listing, but I wanted to give you an idea of what Deal or No Deal is like for a lot of collectors. There's an excitement and an allure, because a lot of these pieces are being offered on a public platform for the first time. And a lot of us are connected to them because they represent the characters, films, series, and toys we love. As Deal or No Deal's member base grew during the first full month of quarantine in April, some true gems were offered on the page. Some of the notable vintage pieces were a 1978 Kenner Star Wars Toy Galaxy display sign. While it was unfortunately trimmed in half, it is still one of the rarest and earliest Star Wars displays. It sold for $2,500. A factory-sealed Return of the Jedi Imperial Shuttle sold for $1,000. A rare 20B-back carded R5-D4 pulled in $800. A loose droid C-3PO with its coin sold for $500. And a deal was made for a Power of the Force Tatooine skiff, complete and with its box, for $750. Throughout the month, longtime vintage collector Brock Walker sold a series of Kenner transparencies relating to the Star Wars toy line. Transparencies were used by Kenner to archive and reproduce images of the figures and playsets, as well as shots from the films. They played a crucial part in Kenner's Star Wars toy history. Two examples of the transparencies that sold on Deal or No Deal were the black and white negative for the 12-inch IG-88 figure for $150, and the reference negative for the alternate Ben Kenobi photo for the Return of the Jedi cardback for $100. During this time, Brock also sold Lucasfilm cast and crew apparel from the prequels. For the foreign vintage Star Wars offerings, someone was able to pick up a loose 
Lily Letty Boba Fett, which was graded an 80 by AFA for $500. And an extremely rare Italian Harbor Greedo, also graded an 80, sold for $3,000. April also kicked things off for some really great vintage and modern prototypes. A peach-colored first shot size from head on a production body, graded at a 90, sold for $3,500, and an unproduced Ewoks Chief Chirpa first shot figure sold for $3,100. It was graded at a 90+, and had a brown head and torso, and gray limbs. In the pre-production world, clay ruffs are incredibly hard to come by, and are generally the earliest representation of a figure. And as a rough draft, they are usually discarded when the sculptor transitions to using wax to make the final sculpt. A clay rough of the helmet sculpt and part of the backpack of the Power of the Force 2 12-inch scale Biker Scout figure sold for $1,000. Another unique and fun piece was a Qui-Gon Jinn and Darth Maul dual diorama made as giveaways at Toy Fair to celebrate the release of Hasbro's Episode 1 figure line. Very few of these were made at the time. The seller estimated the existence of about 15 dioramas, and this surviving piece came from a Hasbro employee. A deal was made for $450. A green and gray Power of the Force 2 first shot of R2-D2 with a launching lightsaber sold for $240, and someone won an Episode 1 Battle Droid unassembled first shot for $185. Other notable April sales include a set of three early in-house Lego proofs for the Jabba the Hutt playsets for $850, and an original acetate sculpt for Kenner's 1981 Fast 111's Formula Special Open Wheel Race Car by famed Star Wars sculptor Bill Lemon for $250. As exciting as April was, May's sales on Deal or No Deal brought the page to an entirely new level. Here are some of the highlights. On the vintage side, $300 was the winning bid on a Kenner Maple Plain Company postcard apologizing for the delay in filling the free Boba Fett action figure offer. A carded 65A Luke Jedi sold for $1,550. Why so high? It was one of a few known Hong Kong examples from the Smile Factory that had the figure's cape in a bag within the blister. A sealed bag containing the Adat vehicle's chin guns sold for $100, and a loose Taiwan Boba Fett graded at a 90 sold for $550. A Hoth Rebels 3-pack containing Han Hoth, a rebel soldier, and FX-7 sold for $3,900. Even with the bubble slit near the FX-7, the rare piece commanded a price tag of almost $4,000. A buyer purchased a carded Power of the Force Yak Face, the version heavily desired by Kenner collectors, for $5,000. An orange first-shot arm and helmet belonging to Return of the Jedi's Leia Bausch sold for $800. And a 1978 20-back A carded R2-D2, graded at a lowly 30 because the card back was riddled with creases, was one of only a handful ever to turn up, and sold for $3,000 to a very happy astromech collector. On the modern Star Wars side, Brandon Vise dug deep into his collection and offered some jaw-dropping early pieces. 
He sold a 1995 Power of the Force II Darth Vader first shot, nicknamed the Diaper Vader because the figure was shot in black plastic except for a lighter colored waist. The Diaper Vader sold for $800. He also sold an early Leia first shot for $800, a 1997 Han Solo first shot from the Jabba Beast Pack for $325, an Admiral Akbar for $275, a Ponda Baba with accessories for $500, an unreleased 2002 Rebel Technician from the Saga line for $250, and a Cyborg Darth Maul from the 2010 San Diego Comic-Con exclusive Visionaries comic pack for $500. Other notable modern prototypes that sold during the month were a Power of the Force Luke Stormtrooper proof card for $300, a Power of the Force Weequay first shot in non-production colors for $300, and an 11-page collection of color and black and white mock-up images of the Power of the Force Landspeeder box art, which sold for $500. In addition, a bagged first shot of the first Mace Windu figure in a crazy assortment of red, purple, and pale blue colors crossed the $500 mark after an intense bidding session. A very early handmade mock-up prototype box for the Republic gunship from the Saga line sold for $150. It was so early in the design that the box simply says, with cool features, because Hasbro had yet to decide which features to include. And as a Black Series prototype collector, one of my favorite items from the May offerings was a carded sample of the IG-88 6-inch figure from the Archive line. The card had a black front without any graphics on it, and on its white back, it had a series of larger color bars like a proof sheet and some handwritten notes on it. The carded sample sold for $650. There were a few miscellaneous items worth mentioning, too. A signed photo of George Lucas sold for $82. A signed copy of the book Star Wars Action Figures by John Kellerman, often referred to as the Vintage Collector's Bible, sold for $400. Lastly, a sponsor gift from the 2017 Archive Party at Celebration Orlando sold for $100. The piece was one of 35 made and was handcrafted by a former Kenner employee in the style of Mount Rushmore depicting Luke, Leia, Han, and Chewbacca on Mount Rebel. For fans of modern Star Wars prototypes, Deal or No Deal welcomed June in a big way. On Friday, June 4th, Justin Haney posted an announcement that kicked off Modern Prototype Weekend. He wrote, Still have some cash in reserves? Are you itching to sell? Love the modern stuff as much as most? Well, this is for you. All weekend, we are encouraging those to focus on posting modern pre-production items. We've seen some killer stuff exchange hands over the last couple months. Let's focus on flooding the page with amazing prototypes. Friday through Sunday, all day, all night. Feel free to tag buyers and sellers so they are prepped for all the modern magic. The modern prototype weekend hashtag lit up deal or no deal for the entire weekend. And the idea was so popular among buyers and sellers that it continued for the next two weekends in the month. 
Collectors like Barry Chalmers, Don Henderson, Anthony Pagano, and Brandon Vise brought out some incredibly special early modern pieces, with many from the Power of the Force 2 and Power of the Jedi lines. Here are some of the Power of the Force 2 highlights. One of my favorite Power of the Force first shots, a Darth Vader with removable helmet, with a blue torso, peach limbs, and a gray head, sold for $1,000. A stereolithography prototype, which is a precursor to 3D printing of an unproduced 12-inch probe droid, sold for $1,000. Its 3 and 3 quarter inch first shot counterpart that was produced sold for $350. A translucent yellow resin hard copy of the Han Carbonite block from the Slave One playset sold for $500. A Luke Hoth in non-production colors sold for $250, as did an Ishi Tib and a Captain Piet. And an all-new likeness Leia and a Han Solo deluxe figure in blue sold for $300 each. But for many, the modern prototype line that received the most attention during June was the Power of the Jedi that ran from 2000 to 2001. Power of the Jedi prototypes have been overlooked in the past, but collectors are beginning to really appreciate them, and the pieces are beginning to appreciate in value as well. Many of the Power of the Jedi first shots offered by Brandon were ones rarely seen in the collecting world. And in addition to including desirable characters, the colors of these prototypes help them to sell for prices equivalent to Power of the Force 2 first shots. An Obi-Wan in cold weather gear and Qui-Gon in Jedi training gear were two standouts and sold for $350 each. The oddest figure in Brandon's lot was the two-headed Fode and Bead figure, with a maroon body, red arms, gray legs, and yellow heads, which sold for a whopping $450. A winning bidder took home a soft pink Queen Amidala for $275, and the Queen's decoy Sabe in pink and red and with a dark green head sold for $285. And Power of the Jedi droids fared well, too, with a gray and white Naboo Escape R2-D2 selling for $250, and a pink-domed R4-M9 with mouse droid pulling the deal switch at $275. Some notable non-production colored Episode One prototypes sold during this time as well. A blue and green Kadu creature and an all-black Padme Amidala with Ascension Gun sold for $200 each. And with a winning offer of $750, one lucky collector added a hand-painted hard copy of Episode 1's Obi-Wan to their collection. On the vintage side, a Kenner early bird set in which all the pieces were from the original owner sold for $2,750. A rare Villains 3-pack sold for $3,000, and a run of five micro-collection Stormtrooper prototypes in various colors and one bag sample crossed the $600 mark as a fundraiser for a special charity dear to the seller's heart. One of the most interesting pieces of the month was an internal Kenner copy of the Lucasfilm script for the animated cartoon that aired during the holiday special. It was dated June 21st, 1978, and was the entire script for the cartoon that first introduced Boba Fett. The winning bid? $1,000.
If you're an Ahsoka fan like me, July could not have started in a better way. The first Clone Wars Ahsoka first shot prototype to be available for purchase publicly in the past three years suddenly surfaced on Deal or No Deal. It was an all-gray plastic prototype of the popular and rare CW44 Ahsoka figure from 2011, and came with two lightsaber hilts and two lightsabers, which were an opaque neon green. Modern first-shot prototypes typically sell for under $1,000. In fact, around 75% of them seem to sell for under $350, and hard copies tend to sell in the $400 to $600 range. The Power of the Force 2 Vader with removable helmet that I mentioned earlier, the one that sold for $1,000? That's an anomaly. And while I expected Ahsoka's rising popularity to raise the value of this prototype example, I figured it would probably sell for around $800. And maybe, just maybe, some crazy bidder would take it up to $1,000. After an intense afternoon of bidding, the price of the gray Ahsoka went well over $1,000 and was steadily climbing toward $1,500. Modern and vintage Star Wars collectors were shocked by the flurry of activity for the piece and by its rising value. By the end of the night, it crossed a record $2,050, and the seller ended the auction at midnight, overjoyed with the realized price. However, while we were all surprised by the final price for the Ahsoka first shot, we found out later that multiple bidders were prepared to spend up to $3,000 in order to win it. So, this is where the fun begins. Race you to the top. I'll give you a head start. Your mistake. The old saying, when it rains, it pours, is quite fitting here. After a long drought, a few more three and three quarter inch Ahsoka pre-production pieces appeared on Deal or No Deal in July as well. A Hasbro Far East sample of the Ahsoka and Space Gear figure sold for a whopping $900. To put this piece into perspective, it is essentially a production quality sample with the letters HFE marked on the top of the head. Toward the end of the month, Anthony Pagano unearthed an incredible carded sample, but with an important but little-known variation. It was a 2012 Clone Wars collection Ahsoka in scuba gear, but the piece was special for two reasons. First, it was an official Hasbro sample with a unique security tracking number heat-stamped onto the back of the card. Second, while the face of a production example of Scuba Ahsoka is a deeper orange, the first samples created were a very pale orange. Anthony sold this pale-faced carded Ahsoka sample for $1,200 to a collector who was thrilled to add it to his collection. And Anthony's carded sample offerings from the modern Star Wars lines did not end with the Ahsoka. He had recently picked up a collection of samples and kindly offered them to collectors on the Deal or No Deal group throughout the month. A 30th anniversary Mace Windu mock-up sold for $150. A legacy Luke Jedi sold for $75. And a Movie Heroes carded Sand Trooper with the tracking number on the figure's head as well as on the back of the card sold for $175. Anthony also sold some rare samples from the 2014 Rebels line, including an AT-AT driver for $100, a TIE pilot for $150, and one of the rarest modern figures, the Jedi Temple Guard, for $200.
Some of the other notable modern prototypes to sell during July were a Power of the Force 2 ATST driver for $250, an Italian Power of the Force 2 Darth Vader lightsaber proof sheet for $300, a Power of the Force 2 sheet containing the Italian and Tri-Logo proofs for Luke Hoth for $400. An unpainted Episode One hard copy of the Gungan Warrior from the Famba set for $625. Decoration Master hard copies for the Utapau Clone Trooper set from the Saga 2 line for $350. And a 2008 Legacy Mandalore first shot figure from the Fett Evolutions 3-pack for $750. And as amazing as July was for modern prototypes on Deal or No Deal, it delivered an abundance of incredible vintage items as well. In one of the biggest deals completed on the page, an AFA-90 Darth Vader with a prototype Circles double telescoping lightsaber sold for $18,000. The figure came without a cape, which is how it was discovered, and the country of origin, or COO, on the back of its leg is unique in that the first G in Hong Kong is missing. This is believed to be one of the earliest Darth Vader figures produced. One of the rarest and most desirable Kenner multi-packs, the Return of the Jedi 8-pack villain set with Boba Fett, sold recently for $5,000. The box was in fantastic shape and was completely sealed. A true gem for multi-pack and mailer collectors. A quality control sample of the Power of the Force carded Imperial Sniper vehicle sold for $3,000. A deal was made on a proof sheet containing the packaging images for the 1984 Return of the Jedi laser rifle carry case and the Force lightsaber for $1,500. Also selling in that range was a vintage Dynacast hard copy of Cy Snoodle's left arm for $1,400 and a carded Australian Toll Toys Return of the Jedi Luke Hoth, graded at an 85 for $1,750. One of the more interesting pieces to be offered on Deal or No Deal was a 1989 Brazilian glass lead poster calendar. The 18 by 26 inch calendar was sold in Brazil during what is known as the Dark Times, which is the decade between the last Kenner figure releases of the mid-1980s and when Kenner revived the Star Wars toy line in the mid-1990s. The price of this one, 30 years after it was offered at retail? $500. Another Kenner early bird kit sold for $2,300. This time, however, it was only the four figures sealed in their respective baggies, including a double-telescoping Luke Skywalker. The figures came in the early bird tray and with the original Kenner catalog. Another notable Kenner piece was the exceptionally rare Return of the Jedi sweepstakes patch, featuring the film's logo and an image of Luke's X-Wing fighter. The patch was distributed to second-place winners, and only a thousand of them were available. The winning deal-or-no-deal deal bid was $800. And finally, remember the first-shot micro-collection Death Star Escape playset I mentioned earlier in the episode? Our friend Bill sold it with the internal Kenner photos for $1,750.
And so, four months after Mark Vanis decided to post a bunch of fun and eclectic Star Wars collectibles in one night, Deal or No Deal has become one of the most exciting and interesting marketplaces in the history of our hobby. As collectors, we have basically lived on the page during the season of quarantine, with one eye on the rest of the world and the other on the activity of the page. And that activity has stayed consistent on a daily basis. And that is completely due to collectors like you and me. Whether you're buying, selling, or trading, or even taking part in a conversation about one of the sales posts, you're playing a part in keeping the site relevant. Will the popularity of Deal or No Deal continue through quarantine and beyond? I'll defer to our little green Jedi Master friend for the answer. Difficult to see. Always in motion is the future. Yoda makes a good point. It's really incredible that Deal or No Deal has maintained a steady level of excitement as collectors sign on every day, asking what will show up next. And that is a testament to every buyer, seller, and commenter who has participated on Deal or No Deal. It's likely that in the short term, the page will continue its reign as the epicenter of commerce within our dedicated collecting community. eBay will continue to be the mall of the world, but Deal or No Deal is the cool mom-and-pop store where all the collectors hang out. It's the toy show that never closes, and you know most of the people there. And as I discussed in a recent episode, quarantine and its effects on our daily lives have contributed to jump-starting the Star Wars collecting market again after a bit of decline in interest and in overall values. With collectors finding themselves with more disposable income as collecting trips and most vacations were canceled, and with money coming back to us in the form of tax returns and stimulus checks, many collectors had the time at home to reevaluate their collections and to pick up new additions. They sold off the pieces they no longer wanted and used that extra money to buy items that they missed out on previously or had dreamed about acquiring someday. And Deal or No Deal has been the vehicle to connect buyer to seller and to make some dreams a reality. And once the world around us begins to open for business and travel again, it's very possible that the fervor around Deal or No Deal will die down a bit. But the group has established itself as something worth paying attention and will likely be around for the long term. And while we cannot predict the future, especially after a year like this, the most important thing about Deal or No Deal is that it is here for us now. It has given us something fun to wake up to every morning, and almost every member I've spoken to over the past four months has either purchased something special or sold something to put a few extra dollars in their pockets. But the most important part of Deal or No Deal? It's something that I think many of us, including myself, could not envision happening on a small Facebook group, and I'm sure many of us have not considered this, even four months in. I was talking to Kyle Rose one night recently, and he insightfully declared the following, Deal or No Deal has completely changed our hobby, and possibly forever. It was a profound statement, and one that became the basis for capturing the history of these past four months on this podcast episode. And the more I thought about it, the more I could see his point. Deal or No Deal brought the neophytes and the longtime collectors together in the same virtual room. It broke down the barriers of having to spend years of showing up to toy shows and collecting events to become a familiar face within the hobby because people are showing up, posting, and bidding on a daily basis. There's a consistency there, 
We're getting to know each other during this time because we have the time to do so. We're seeing established and newer collectors actively hunting certain pieces, and we're seeing it enough times that the names and interests stick. And in a hobby in which many of the rarest and most desired pieces commonly exchange hands in closed-door deals, Deal or No Deal pushes the curtain aside. Now, everybody has a chance at any item posted on the page. Each person has the same access as everybody else. By showing up each day on the site, we're experiencing deal or no deal together. And when we're finally able to be together in person, whether we know one another or not, deal or no deal is our common bond. Over the years, I've had friends tell me they wanted to collect modern or vintage Star Wars prototypes, but didn't know where to begin or how to locate pieces for sale. And in my own experience, I felt at times as though I was watching the activities at some of the meetups or on some of the Facebook groups from behind a gate, and didn't know the access code to get inside. Deal or no deal not only removed that gate, but it gave people an opportunity to contact one another, whether to find out more about a specific piece or to inquire about other possible items for sale. Through watching various sales posts, potential buyers have been able to get a better idea of who the trusted modern or vintage prototype collectors and sellers are. And it fostered conversation between collectors old and new, which will hopefully carry on long after the quarantine finally ends. In a time in which many of us are isolated, every chance at connecting with others is important. Especially with those who share the same crazy passions and interests as us who think like us, and who collect like us. And at its core, Deal or No Deal has brought our community a little spark of hope and normalcy, a positive distraction during some tough months. Deal or No Deal is wholly ours. It is something our community fostered. And with every novel idea, like Modern Prototype Weekend, or Reverse Deal or No Deal, in which potential buyers post items they're looking to buy and the price ranges they're willing to spend, we help to keep the group interesting. And every collector who has posted an incredibly special piece that makes jaws drop and propels conversations about values and rarity adds to what makes the group special. And that goes for the pieces that may mean something to only one or two people as well. Each item that sells has a purpose for selling, and the piece that you part with might mean more to the buyer than you and I could ever imagine. And among the silly memes and hysterical comments, and moments both touching and exciting, Deal or No Deal has become a game show worth playing, and worth tuning in for daily. Oh, I just got another notification. Derek Ho just posted something for sale. Let the bidding begin. See you on Deal or No Deal.